Where are all my friends? We're back again. And this might be one of the most interesting, wait a minute, you know that guy, this led to this, led to this episodes we've had in a while. This started, we're sitting down with Lee Shaner or Intuition, and it started- Yo. Yo. It started from meeting so randomly somebody that you had been longtime friends with, Dom, we're talking just about music and podcasts. He's a photographer, like kind of outside of music to my knowledge, but I had really just met him. He tells me about his buddy that has a podcast. That's you, kind of neat. I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I didn't realize. I look through it. I see that you had done an episode with Lil Zubin. And I was like, all right, that's enough to show this guy gets it. Then I look at the Utah, the YouTube. I realized that kind of neat had a YouTube channel that I had seen. Then I yeah. realized that you had done something with Adam Weiss, who had been on my podcast, and I just literally randomly shot you a DM, and I was like, hey, uh, I think we should do a podcast. So here we are. And you caught are. me at a good time, because it's my like week off, so I have time, uh, and, and it was easy to schedule. But yeah, Adam uh, Weiss is also, you know, up there with Dominic as one of like my best friends as well. So he's been on the podcast a couple of times, actually, uh, just when I need an extra episode. Adam, come through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the thoses. That's so funny. Yeah. But it's also crazy because you are so accustomed to podcasting. Like I'm looking at this and it's such an honor to sit down with you because I feel like you're an OG (laughs) of podcasting. I know I get really hype on things. Yeah. Really? Sure. I, I have I have been podcasting for a long time. I started accidentally sort of in 2011. So I've been doing it for almost a decade. Um, when I started my first podcast, I had never even heard a podcast before. Like I wasn't a podcast listener. But now I look at some of the actual like OGs of podcasting, like uh, Mark Marin and like um, Seth Romatelli and Jonathan Larroquette from Oh Yeah Dude, who have been doing it since 2006. And I look at myself as a bit of a late adopter compared to them. But relative to like the... The time when podcast, like saying you're a podcast host has become sort of embarrassing at this point, yeah. you know, like because, oh, everybody has one like you were like we were saying off air. Um, I've as far as that wave goes, yes, I'm an early adopter in the sense that I have been doing it for like nine years and kind of neat is my second podcast um, out of three that I've had. And uh, that. It's, I've been going, I've been doing it on and off for seven years. Yeah. Dude, which is so crazy because for me, I'm almost like overwhelmed with excitement of where to start this because I feel like you've accomplished a lot of things and done a lot of things that are all interests of mine. And it seems like you've done them well. So it's like part of, part of your story is you're an artist and you've put out music that like, I'm pretty sure I've heard of and had no idea that was you. And then yeah. kind of neat channel blowing my mind. And then I believe you did a corporate podcast for Skull Candy, which yeah. I knew a ton about. And sure. somehow I never knew any of that was you. So I'm having this moment yeah. right now where I'm like, what the fuck? Like you did. I kind what? of have that issue where a lot of people are always like, wait, that was you? Because I don't... Um necessarily try to put myself out i'm not like a sociopath um social media fiend uh searching for clout you know what i mean dude you're i think there takes us like 
Yeah, there, there's a certain amount of sociopathy that I think um, goes into wanting to have like millions of Instagram followers and millions of Twitter followers. And like, I'm happy with my little niche. I'm happy that uh, to... I'm giving credit where credit is due. Like those who need to know what I do, do know what I do. And the the people who write checks sometimes, they know what I do. Um, but I don't have like, you know, I don't have like stalkers or anything, which is nice. I don't have, um, I don't have people like looking at me with a magnifying glass, which is nice. Yeah. So. Well, honestly, that's so much about like what I wanted to start my podcast for because I always yeah. kind of felt like there were people in my industry that were a little more behind the scenes that had the craziest yeah. stories out of anyone. Like there's some people that stay low key, but also stay accomplishing these crazy things or orchestrate all these things behind the scenes. So sure. not only is that like exactly the type of person I want on the show, but then there's also this level of respect where I see what you're doing and I struggle with exactly what you just said where it's like, all I want to do is create something that helps people and inspires people. But then you do have this, like, it forces you to have like this sociopath kind of like has to be about you, have to promote yourself, have to be the shameless plug yeah. if it's going to reach people. And I'm so curious yeah. to hear your take on that. And in all of the things you've done, the success that you've had, how you've coped with that. And I mean, like kind of neat has a crazy YouTube following and you've had all sorts of people on it. And it's like now, as I've started to create, I know that that's not just an accident and that takes so much time to make any piece of proper content. So the fact that you've been doing it for so long to me says that you're not in this for the clout, like that you're in this because you love this and there's something that you really want to create. I think initially when I started the goal was perhaps an early version of clout chasing. The term clout as a slang word wasn't really around back then. But, um, you know, all through the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s, I was concentrating mostly on what I thought, or I was I was mostly concentrating on trying to become like a working musician, a rapper. I, w I wanted to tour. I wanted to like have a career being a rapper. And that was what I concentrated most of my creative energy towards. Um, but I was always holding down, you know, regular jobs at the time. And I never fully invested in it. So it never really came to fruition. Uh, I never really made it to the promised land of being like, uh, a, a full-time musician that that paid for the bills, you know? So, uh, in 2010, late 2010, like right before Christmas, I got laid off from the last office job that I ever had. And, um, right at that time, my, my buddy was working on this company, um, with his manager and I had had a meeting with them scheduled already about like starting to write blogs for them or something. Cause I don't know. It, the, the internet was like the wild west. They were kind of like getting good at YouTube. Um, they were like s streaming stuff sometimes on Ustream um, or like Justin TV or something like that maybe. And the night that I got laid off was the night that we had the scheduled meeting. And so I showed up with like a six pack of beer and a pizza and tried to like basically set up camp and just be like, look, m my situation has changed. And so now I actually like want a job from you guys and not just to like write blogs or something. And so that became 
um, my that was the beginning of my experience with this um, company called Noxteady, which to this day, 10 years later, people still like hit me about that shit all the time. What, are you having a moment again? Yeah, I'm having a moment. Um, Noxteady, that yeah. was, you were a part of that? I, that was like... So that <laughs> dumbfounded was the face of that, but I was like kind of the producer behind all those episodes. Yeah, that was me. Um, sure. And so I started hosting a podcast called Knock Steady Live, and that was accidental. That was my first podcast. And um, back on Knock Steady Live, I mean, we had we did Vince Staples' first ever um, video performance online. We did Anderson Pack's first video performances online back when he was going as Breezy Lovejoy. Um, we did uh, we had Macklemore on the show like two years before Macklemore had a number one single. Yeah. We had Cray Sean on the show the week that Gucci Gucci dropped. Like we were doing a lot of cool shit, you know. And I really look back at that time and I like w w particularly with kind of this discovery of, of Breezy Lovejoy, like you know, the guy who was running the company was like, look, we need to have an episode with an artist that doesn't just um, rap, but doesn't just sing, like has the, and I was like, oh, I know this guy, Breezy Lovejoy, like he's dope. Like, let's have him come in. And after his episode, it was kind of like, yo, this guy's the truth. We should try to manage him. We should do this and that and the other. And then, and then after I ended up um, no longer being a part of that, yeah, the guy who was managing that company like really took Breezy under his wing and, and helped guide him to the place where he is now. So that's a, that was a cool experience. That was my first endeavor into podcasts yeah. was that. Yeah, the first episode we ever did was with Open Mike Eagle, actually. Of course. Okay, so the fact, though, that you really were chasing the path of an artist before this. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we should talk about that for a second, because even that is yeah. blowing my mind. And we we had this moment right before we started where I didn't want to get into it, so we kind of left it there. Yeah, it's okay. But your yeah, yeah. artist name is Intuition, correct? Yeah, I rap as Intuition. But you've done projects with other people that have been producers, is that correct? Or Well, I... I well, so I used to just go as Intuition solo, but then there was so many people. Once the streaming platforms got popular, there were so many other bands with the name Intuition. And all of my records that I've put out have been with one producer named Equilibrium. And so we just, uh, so for streaming platforms, I changed our name just to Intuition and Equilibrium and put all the albums up that way so that we would have kind of our own artist page. Um, but yeah, so he and I met in Santa Barbara back in like 2003. Whoa. I had been rapping for, for a while. I had moved from Alaska to California to come to school. And I met this kid who was like making tapes in his, or like making songs in his dorm room. And so I was like, yo, I could probably rap with you if you want to start a group. And so we started a group and, um, and yeah, then I'm, hopped around from school to school. I ended up in Santa Barbara, met Mark in 2003. Instantly, like two weeks after we met, we got a show um, and it was like sold out at this like 300 cap venue somehow because we had some local acts on and did a really good job promoting it. And we were kind of like, yo, this is, this can be it. We're going to be famous together. We thought we really had like uh, an atmosphere type thing going on, yeah. you know, or like a, an Aesop rock blockhead type thing going on. That's very much the kind of vibe that I get in listening yeah, to music. Right, right. And so he he really made the beats that I was like had had been dreaming of and I think I was like a rapper that he enjoyed working with and so yeah, we worked together, you know, to this day we still work together. We still play with music all the time. We'll put out more records and and um so 
around 2000 by 2005 i'm basically like coming to los angeles every weekend to play shows and host shows and um i had met this whole group of of cats like the young the younger generation of project bloatians and so that's like Mike Eagle, that's No Can Do. No Can Do is really my gateway into this uh, uh, um, subculture of Los Angeles. That's where I meet Dumbfounded. Um, you know, just all, all these guys that then become kind of my rap brain trust or like my circle of dudes that I was coming up with. And a lot of the, a lot of the early, like a lot of the battle rap stuff you see now, uh, I was around that scene very early. One of my good friends is the guy who was filming that. So it's just, I have like my octopus tentacles and all these like things that have gone on to be big. And it's all just cause I'm old. And I was like, uh, I was an early version of like a fucking indie rap hipster back in the day, you know? And so I just like was around a lot of cool people doing cool things. Um, so by 2007, I moved to Los Angeles and that was part, partly because I was moving in with, uh, my girlfriend at the time, but in the back of my head, it was like, I want to be closer to the rap shit. I'm already driving down here every weekend. I might as well just live here. And so and then I get really involved in like the low end theory scene. I was at low end theory every week, shooting photos, doing cool stuff, um, meeting a lot of producers, a lot of other rappers. And around that time, I got my tonsils taken out. And so my voice changed. Whoa. And that's how I have like this. That's how I have like this beautiful podcast voice now <laughs> because I used to have a very nasally voice because my tonsils like touched in the back. So that was like, well, you really want to talk about it. That's the root of all this is getting the tonsils Holy taken out and having my shit, voice bro. drop an octave. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyhow, well, I meet all these fe- I meet all these fellas and, and I'm making music and I'm putting out music a lot. But at that time, I put out a record in t- 2010 called Girls Like Me. And I thought that it was going to be the one to like take me to the promised land. It was a really well put together album, mixed and mastered really nicely. Like it was the best thing we had ever done. And at the time, that was like the peak of blog culture. And yes. all the blogs were like, yeah, the blogs were posting my songs. Like in my little LA scene, you know, not a lot of people were getting posted on like Two Dope Boys and Pigeons and Planes. Yeah. And like they were posting my shit. So I was like, yo, this is my moment but i don't know for whatever reason it it didn't happen like booking agents didn't want to pick me up i never found a manager so then that's when in 2011 i see dumbfounded has this manager that's like really helping him blow the fuck up he was like a big dude on early youtube like he had some some videos that went viral and i was like whoa your manager like really knows what's up. Uh, Like, how can I be down? How can I get involved? And so my whole thing of joining with Knocksteady was on some like, look, I can like help you guys do cool shit if you can help my rap career. And then in turn, nine years later, here we are. Like it, it seems that maybe I was meant more to be doing the behind the scenes stuff than being in front of the camera, which also led to my attitude of like not being a sociopathic clout chaser. Cause I'm like, you know what? Being behind the camera is not so bad. Okay, now ask a question. <laughs> Holy shit, bro. I love talking to an my experienced bad. podcaster yeah. because I'm like, I don't even have to guide you. You're saying the things that I want to hear. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, I, I, we're both like, yeah, we like to talk. Yeah, Go that's, ahead. it's great. Okay, but here's my <laughs> thing. So like I came from, I'm probably a generation younger than you. I'm 30 now. But like, yeah, I, I'm, I'll be 40 next year. Okay, cool. So yeah. I know all the things you're talking about, but also in the way where it wasn't even an idea that I could like know those people or work with them. It was just like things I saw on the internet and I was like, oh, that's cool. So like hearing right. you say all of that, it's almost a little ahead of my time where I know some of those names and I can like put it together, but I can like, sure. I feel you painting the picture 
of a whole scene. And that's where I can relate. Yeah. Because when I first started, like with anything with music was me touring with my friends starting in 2008. And we just got in a van, toured around the country, DIY shows. Yeah. But it was like more in like the like warp Tour rock world. Um, yes, yeah, sure. But that was like a big thing. Like when I experienced touring world, that to me was like kind of meeting my first people and realizing that it was a very real culture and community and alternative culture that led to some of like the most important people I ever met. So you weren't rapping for a small amount of time. Like you had put time in, you say you didn't get a manager, you didn't get an agent, but like, were you touring at all? Or like, what did that look like? I toured a little bit. I, I've toured, I've only toured twice, to be honest. And once was with those guys I just mentioned, Dumbfounded, Open Mike Eagle, and No Can Do. Yeah. And that was really fun, but it was really small. You know, sometimes we're playing to, you know, 15 people. It was oh, terrible. I, I but, uh, and then, yeah. And then in, uh, I toured again, like in 2012 with, um, Greaves and Budo, this act out of, uh, out of Seattle. And, um, it was cool, but, you know, touring, as an opening act is hard. And I, so I think like, I always had the big dreams of like being a headlining touring act. And I, but I didn't have the, I was making money in LA. I had jobs. I had, um, a comfortable life. I had good credit yeah. and I didn't want to like throw all that away to eat shit and sleep on couches for three years. You know what I mean? Um, so I just never really, I didn't do the whole like van life thing. And, I think the the reason that I started making internet content was because I felt that you could kind of get that same amount of buzz or people following you from your house rather than having to go to their city to meet them. You know what I mean? They could watch you online because this was back when, like I said, YouTube was the wild, wild west. I mean, when we were doing that shit in 2011, we went to a party for like this big YouTube company. And at the time, the biggest YouTuber on in the world was this guy named Ray William Johnson. And we walked into the party and he was like... Holy shit, dumbfounded intuition. Like, yo, you guys are, are not said you guys are dope, right? So I'm thinking, like, oh, if like the people on the internet are learning about this and the biggest guy on YouTube already knows about us, like, ah, touring is like whatever. That's small, that's small potatoes, is how it felt at the time. Interesting. You know? No, I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I I don't know. As you're explaining all of this, it's such an interesting feeling for me because I never chased being an artist, but I knew like touring side of yeah. it. But I can't help but feel, and I guess I'm still learning your story as we speak, no, go ahead. but like things worked out for you. Like you obviously have done a ton of cool shit outside of being an artist. So is that something that sure. like haunts you is like you should have done the full send? Like, do you look back at that with regret or do you look at that as like nah. destiny played its course and you should have been doing what you're doing? I don't ever look back with regret. I feel like as though I, w I took it as far as I could have or as at least as far as my drive allowed me to, you know? So I don't look back at that time with regret. I, I, yeah, things worked out how they should. Like, I don't ever... I don't think anyone who's ever doing anything while they're in the middle of it have never... They never feel like I've made it, you know? Like, as many artists that, as I've talked to, no one ever feels like... Yep, I did what I came to accomplish. <laughs> You're always working towards whatever that might be, you know? And so I'm still working towards whatever that might be. And I don't know what it is. And it, that goals, the goals change all the time. Um, but, you know, if the goal was to like 
put out some some music that I um, think would age well, then yeah, then m- mission accomplished there. And then um, if the goal was to like help other indie artists that perhaps are on a similar journey that I was back then and be able to talk to them now and platform them and relate to them, then like that's a mission that I'm still accomplishing as well. You know, that's part of the reason that I started kind of neat. And part of the reason that Knox City was so appealing to me back then was, was because as a 100% indie artist like I was, there weren't a lot of like places on the internet for us to get any amount of like help or buzz or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the blogs were mostly for like more established industry acts or acts that were about to be big in the industry. Whereas like people like me that were really like DIY all the way, you know, nobody was posting about us really. So I was like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll make platforms to do that. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Okay. So two questions as we continue on yeah. the path. So yeah. one, do you think that if you had full sent it, like if you had been like, fuck credit, fuck steady money, fuck living in LA in this relationship, and you had just gone like full, full, full in, do you think that it yeah. could have been a different life? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't really see the point in looking back at it that way. I'm sure if I tried harder, perhaps. Um, but at the same time, I had a lot of issues back then. You know what I mean? Like I was, I wasn't the person that I am now or that I'm always striving to grow and continue to be. And so if anything, like, you know, failures are are not um, permanent they're just a door opening for something else. You know what I'm saying? And so if I look back at my um, career as a musician as as though it were a failure, I think that would be a little myopic because it led to all this other stuff, you know? With other circumstances, certainly anything's possible. Like it could have worked out better than it did, but I'm not upset with how it turned out. You know, it's all good. No, that's it's so interesting to me though. Just like the reason I wanted to ask that question is I feel like I deeply myself think about like, I get so excited and I want to do so many things. And I always have like this like battle in my head of like full send, just do one thing. Don't even think about anything yeah. else. Like go till you have a not even a penny in your bank account. And yeah, then, I can't I can't think that way. I have too many different well, like I have too many different angles that I want to look at. You well, know? that's me though. It's so, like I try yeah. to tell myself that, but I'm too conservative by nature and I'm too excited about too many avenues. So I just yeah. like I wonder, I have to feel like other people relate to that. And that's such an interesting yeah. thing to see that you've done that. Because the other point that I was gonna say before we progress into your story is I don't see that as a failure. Like, granted, you didn't go full, full send artists like some of the other people that we were talking about, whatever. But the thing that we were talking about right before the podcast started where my mind was blown is there's a song that you put out in 2014, Wait Is Gone. And I had to like confirm with you. I'm like, hey, uh, just making sure I'm talking to the right person here. You yeah. made this song. Well, that's a but that's what I'm saying is like the way you were reacting to it. I was confused. I'm like, I think that I think there are multiple songs with that title. So I'm like, ho- hopefully it's the one that you're thinking of. Yeah, and apparently it is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we've we've uh, you know, we made some bangers. We made some bops. You absolutely uh, and, did. Like, I don't yeah. look at and, and, that as like a failed anything. Like, I no, when, when I, it's not a failure. 
look, those those motherfuckers still make me mail checks, so we're good. As long as they're still collecting revenue, like, that's not a failure, so. Oh, my God, yeah. no, like, I was, like, legitimately, like, that song has come up in so many playlists and just, like, my life. Yeah. Where I was, like, yeah. legit, like, kind of starstruck, where I'm like, what the fuck, bro? That's you? Like, that's not you, like, sampling something? Like, that's your song? And, uh, it, yeah, that's, that's me. I mean, it is, there. There are samples. Yes, but, but that is you not, guys yeah. who made that <laughs> no, song. That's us. Yes. That's us. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's uh, mind-boggling to hear that it's ended up on playlists and stuff. Because like I said, uh, when you don't have all of the industry tools and analytics and all that, uh, I, I don't know the reach. I don't know the influence. I don't know... Uh, all I all I can see is the number of times it's been played by on Spotify, which is like yes. you know minuscule to some other songs. Uh, so yeah, cool. I don't know. I'm surprised that you knew what it was. That's dope, dude. Like yeah. to the point of like friends, like driving around in an old '60s truck in Florida with my friends, just like with like the chill and hip hop playlist on, and that song comes on. So I'm like listening to it. And I'm like what that's crazy all right well keeping yeah. going with your story yeah. i'm blown away and that's amazing to hear about the project yeah, me too. Me and too. yeah what you did accomplish there so you go and do the knock steady thing yeah what happens from there um so knock steady for me only lasted a year uh and and we kind of went separate ways and so i took a year to kind of regather myself because that was it was a heavy year i was working like 24 hours a day and really learning what I was capable of because I have a so I have my um degree in commercial photography right so that's my that was my uh visual art side of me is, is in photography and so that's helped in like videography stuff because at least I have sort of a vision and an understanding of lighting and I can kind of um create videos the same way that I would create a photo yeah type shit is that how you know Dom? and well, yeah, Dom and I went to school together. We, so what? we've known each other since two, the year 2000. We're, we've been best friends since college. What? Yeah. yeah, so that's so that's how we met each other. So, oh, I mean, that ties into all of this. So after Knocksteady, I called up Dom. My unemployment ran out, which is a whole other story. I was on unemployment the whole time. It was kind of a, it was a little bit of a cult. I was like working for free low-key. And it was a like a charis charismatic leader situation. Perfect. And so when... Yeah, when that ended, um, I just kind of was a little lost again going like, okay, well, I don't want to go back to an office job. What can I do? And right at that same time, coincidentally, my my best friend, Dominic, um, who's appeared on Kind of Neat, um, he was breaking off from his like nine to five photo job that he had and going independent. And he had a couple contracts that were going to pay his way. And so I went, well, hey, man, if you're going independent and if you need any help just let me know because like i could assist i can i can digitech i can light i can do whatever like he he knows my skill set from school because we helped each other get through school and we understand the way each other shoots and the and we 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 have the same kind of mentality and focus about um our vision with photography and so he was like oh yeah i have a shoot in like three days come down and help and so he had some other guys working with him and, but it was, you know, pretty, pretty quickly where I end up just becoming like his right hand man in his business and, and was teching and, and firsting at the same time. And so that was like my hustle for, you know, five or six years was working with him and then working on kind of neat and music in the interim. And somehow in 2013, the year that I started kind of neat, 
I managed to do an episode a week, 52 episodes that first year, all while juggling, traveling with him like, you know, twice a month. You know, like I would, we would be, we would be on jobs out of state like almost twice a month. Yeah. And then I would somehow come home, have a few days, record like two or three episodes and then, and get them out still scheduled. Like sometimes I'd be posting them from my phone and shit, like, cause I didn't even have a laptop at the time. Like I'd be in Florida, like posting it from my phone. But anyway, yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. I don't know how I did it. I so heavily relate to that. Yeah. Like the looking yeah, yeah. back at those things where you're like, how did I do all of this kind of vibe? Because now I'm like back on that tip where I'm doing, I'm trying to do 52 episodes in 52 weeks. I'm taking a two week break right now. So I'm doing like 26 episodes and 26 episodes. And I'm like, how the fuck did I do this? So like back then, I, my stamina has changed a lot. It was, I was, it was hard, man. But you know, we're getting it done, dude. Okay, so, so two things there. One is Dom yeah. even more legit than I think he is because as you're explaining this, like I like I only briefly met him and he talked to me about yeah. like working with like DC shoes and doing like big things. But like, yeah, he's he's oh, been I mean, established, s- huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He he um got a really good break out of school and and got a job at dc shoes um and yeah that led to having other huge clients along the way the 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 sports the action sports industry in photography has a has a wide web because a lot of dudes who started off in the skate industry they end up at nike they end up at adidas they end up at new era they end up at all these big brands but they start off in these small skate companies as creative directors or whatever and so if you make those relationships with creative directors you can carry on that relationship to whatever company they may lead to and so yeah we've while i was working with him i mean there was we we worked with some huge clients yeah amazing shot photographed amazing people go to his website check it out dominicooley.com uh we've are the the resume is is thick with yeah. two C's. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and this is the second point that I wanted to touch on with that. As I was doing yeah. my light research on you, I like to keep that balance where I know a little bit, so I'm not completely uneducated, yeah, yeah. but it's also nah, like, for sure. Well, uh, your project, like just like your Lee Shaner page and your photography yeah. is oh, yeah, fucked yeah. up good. So now oh, in thanks, my head, man. I'm like, oh, damn. Well, if you're shooting with Dom and if you came from school and like that's your background, I get it. Because yeah. I saw that yeah. and I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, you know, over time, our styles really like um, came to mesh together and we really see through the lens in a very similar way. So, yeah, I, I forgot that I even have a Lee Shaner page. I really just do that so that when you Google me, like some goofy shit doesn't come up. But yeah, most of that stuff is, sh- is stuff that I shot from like... 2018 and 19 with Skull Candy, or maybe 2016 through 18 for Skull Candy as a client when they were having me shoot music stuff for them. Bro, I yeah. so heavily relate to like just so many of the things, and there's so many parallels in my life where like I'm doing so much, and there's so many like, oh yeah, yeah. well, I did this during this time, and this, this, and this, and this, and this, and like it's really inspiring for me to talk to you and hear all of this. Well, yeah, touching back on what you said about that and having kind of being a jack of all trades, master of none, but in the creative sense, just uh, being curious about so many different creative outlets and wanting to partake in so many creative outlets. Yes. It does uh, lead to that issue of not being known as a specialist, but, but sometimes that helps where I'm like, oh, you have this vacancy or this void, like I can fill it, you know, because that 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 opportunity with um, Skull Candy, they, they totally pivoted on their marketing program, I think in 2016 or 17, it's 16, it must have been. And they just wanted to do a music program that was like writing and photography, like basically blog posts. And I was like, oh, well, I write 
and I shoot and I know music and I can book people and you'd be hard pressed to find literally anyone else in the world that would do that. That would like book the act, shoot the act, uh, uh, write, write up the interview, like interview the act, you know, all, all that shit. And so it was just this, this thing where I've, uh, being a jack of all trades has put me into some positions that I don't think a lot of other people would really be able to pull off, you know? That's really so. encouraging to hear. Because yeah. I, it, but it takes forever, man. You know what I'm saying? Like you're 30. It started working out for me at like 35. So you got five more years. You're almost there. Tight. Well, not only for me, but yeah. even for the listeners, you know, because I feel like there's yeah, a whole yeah. generation even below me that's like trying to find their spot in all of it. It's like people interested. Yeah. I'd say most of my listeners are into some kind of music or entertainment. Sure. And a lot of people are trying to find their lane and figuring out what that is. So that's why I'm so obsessed with hearing everyone's different story and how it played out because I don't think there's a specific right answer. But nah, I definitely none. felt that there was a unique path with you, one that I haven't heard others talk about. And I feel like I'm all over the place telling the story because there's there's like... So <laughs> There's just so many There's like so divergent much. angles. I, I really look at my life as every year uh, is a new place that a check is coming from. But somehow every January, something happens to work out where I can fill some void for somebody and still manage to like, you know, live in Los Angeles and, and survive. But yeah, come no, come November every year, I'm like, oh God, I hope the check comes next year. And it always works out. So there's really no point in stressing. But you know, it took forever. It, it takes a long time. And, and a big thing, uh, going back all the way to the beginning about not having that like sociopathic drive to want to like have my Instagram numbers reflect all of the uh, accomplishments that I've been a part of. It, it's just knowing that like, don't front, you know what I mean? Like don't, don't put fucking CEO in your bio. Don't put photographer stylist fucking creative director vibe director whatever like just fucking do your thing and be quiet about it and and eventually i think people will notice if you're if the work holds up for itself because even without the numbers if the work holds up and it's consistent people will notice you know what i mean dude so anyway that's church right there something you yeah. said on the intro of the podcast when you brought back kind of neat was yeah. that led you to doing a corporate podcast? I believe the Skull Candy podcast, yeah. right? So you yeah, said yeah, so, yeah. that kind of became your resume, like the fact that you had done it. And I want to go back because I'm really, really curious of this specific point. What was yeah. it like starting Kind of Neat? Because you said you started that in 2013. Yeah. So say you did that, what, like four years before it led to like another opportunity like that. However, it really carved out a lane and you did the damn thing. So like, yeah. what was that vision? What was that drive? What were you thinking then? How did that take place? Talk, like, tell me yeah. about that. Yeah, I got you. So, um, like I said, I took pretty much most of 2012 to myself and was, um, writing music and working with Dom, but not in, not doing podcasts or content creation. Cause I, was letting ideas stew. And so one of my buddies slash mentors, Daddy Kev, who started Low End Theory, um, he opened a studio that year with one of my good friends, No Can Do, who I've mentioned a few times. And so they went in on this studio together and were like, hey, we want to do something cool here so that it's in use more than just like as a recording spot. So if you have any ideas 
you know, or if you want to start a podcast or something, go for it. And I was like, yo, they had just plastered the walls with the comic books. And I went, yeah, I could do something with this for sure. Like I'll do a podcast and then I'll shoot people performing because at Noxsteady, we used to do, we used to call it a three tier platform. We would do a live stream performances and an interview. And then we would boil down all the best parts of the live stream interviews into a podcast. Right. But the main thing that I didn't like about the live stream aspect is that you have to be on the entire time because people are watching and you can't slip up and say some dumb shit or look dumb or be whack. Like you have to be on the whole time. And that's annoying to me. And also I think people are more protected that way. Like if they know that it's live streaming, then people will be less personal in, in the interviews, you know? And so I was like, okay, what I would like to do is start a podcast again, but instead of filming it or live streaming it, I just want it to be like a traditional, like Mark Marin type podcast where I'm just sitting with people and interviewing. And then and then the 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 kind of teaser or or the the snackable content, if you will, will just be one live performance of whatever song the artist wants to perform. And so that was it. That was the idea for kind of neat. And and the first guest I ever had on was Baths. Um, who was on Anticon. I think he's still on Anticon. I don't know. Uh, and it was kind of like an afterthought. Like I always wanted to have Bass on Noxteady and never got to have him on. So I was like, talked to um, his his label owner slash manager, Sean, at the time. And was like, yo, I really want to have Bass as the first guest because he was like a white whale when I was on Noxteady. And I was like, uh, and, and so he came through, but he was in a rush to go somewhere else. So I couldn't have him perform. So then the second guest, the first one to ever perform was Chuck English, who like... I don't know. I look at him as like a gateway to Los Angeles in general. Like when people get cracking, the first people they come out and meet is Chuck English. And I wanted that. I wanted to have that same feeling for kind of neat. Like when you first start cracking, you come through at kind of neat. You know what I mean? So I, so Chuck, having Chuck on the show as a second guest was like, you know, analogous to that. It was like symbolic in a sense. And then from there, we just didn't look back. You know, uh, I look back on that content now from 2013, 2014 as like pretty archaic. You know, I had a fucking Canon Mark II or Canon, what is it? The Rebel T2i? Yeah. No, no, well, I had a five Mark, a a Mark, 2, 5, Mark 5, II, 5D Mark II. That's okay. what it is. Yeah. Yes, 5D Mark II. God, I just sounded like I had a stroke. Uh, I had a, a 5D Mark II that I like fell off of a truck that Dom gave me for free. <laughs> he was like, he's like, yeah, this fell off a truck. I got it for cheap. Have it. I said, all right, cool. Because before that, I was borrowing people's cameras. I would go borrow my homie Romo's camera and light. And sometimes I'd be going to one place to get a camera, another place to get a light all before I get there. Like, I was really doing it, like, by the fucking skin of my teeth, man. Like, I, it was a juggling act that I don't know how I pulled off. So finally, he gives me a camera. And I look back on that footage now is what I meant to say. is like very archaic and pretty low quality and inconsistent a lot of the times. But we had some, like major fucking successes and we had you know the harder you work the luckier you get and we were working very hard and and we had some like big lucky breaks i remember the first video to ever like catch on instantly was our fifth episode um this gal named penny bird rabbit um and skrillex who was huge at the time it was like peak skrillex era he fucking retweeted the video and overnight it got two hundred thousand views you know and we were just like holy shit you know, like we made it. And, and from there, it was like, that was it. Subscribers started coming in. Um, and, you know, we were on that weekly cadence. And back then on YouTube being once a week, that was like, you were, you were in there. Now I feel like on YouTube, it's a trash fire. You have to be uploading every day. So anyway, yeah, that was it. Like if back then, 
you could be uploading once a week and you were like getting pushed into the algorithm and you were gaining subscribers all the time. That first year we got 10,000 subscribers. My goal was always to like try and get double the amount of subscribers each year. So like 10,000 and 20,000 and 40,000. I don't know. We had 100,000 and I just like needed a break. I was just booking people that I knew, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was like really in the scene at that point. I was at shows every night. I was like just out and about. And so, and I was hanging out with Adam a lot, honestly, like, and I was going to, I was going to all the ham on everything parties and I was going to low end theory and I was doing all this shit. And, and so I would just like see people and meet people. And I'd be like, yeah, I have a podcast. Like I remember we had Mike G from odd future on like episode 15. And at the time in 2013, like odd future was still huge. Like there, that was, that was everything. And I walked up to Mike G and I was just like, Hey man, what's up? I have this podcast. It's called kind of neat. And he was like, Oh yeah, I've heard of that. And I said, well, shit, you want to come be a guest? Same thing with with Milo. I don't know if you know who Milo is, but, uh, um, it was the same thing where I just like would walk up to people and be like, I have a podcast and people would be like, what the fuck is that? Or they'd be like, I've heard of that. And they would just come through, you know? And, and I've always looked at, I've always looked at my creative projects as not being so much about um, an individual output, but more about the sum of everything, like the sum of everything that you do. And so that's why every video on Kind of Neat looks the same because I'm like, look, I just want to like amass hundreds of these because that's the impressive part is that you got everybody to agree to do this. It's not like necessarily what happens in any individual video, but when you amass hundreds of them, cool shit is bound to happen in them. And then, and then artists know about it and they get more competitive about it and they go, Oh, well, so-and-so did this. So I want to do this. And you know, he took his shirt off. So I'm going to take my shirt off type shit. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know. No, I do. And like that, that to me was something that was so impressive about what you did because, and I'm curious because you experienced it several times, like building not only a following, but like building a vision and building like what the content is that you're creating that's going up on YouTube. And I'm curious, like, I love that and I completely feel it. And I agree. Like once you have it all together, you've built something like you've built this little like niche thing online that is Mm -hmm. then its own subculture. It's its own thing. And people do get competitive Mm -hmm. where they like they raise the stakes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And I feel like you did that. And I feel like as you explain your vision, that is what it was. And that's coming from somebody who never subscribed, but just saw it because it was on the internet, because it did that thing where like, even if you didn't subscribe, you'd catch that one episode and you'd remember the background and you'd be like, oh shit. So Yeah. I mean, to this day, people still go like, wait a second. Isn't that where Ghostmane did a video? Isn't that where... Caliucci's did it and I'm like yeah dog like hasn't the algorithm shown you a million of other ones of these like there's 150 of them like how's that the only one you've seen but uh yeah man I don't yeah that was the thing that's my question just creating a community yeah talk to me about the algorithm because you've been doing this shit for so long like do you view it as a blessing do you view it as a curse do you give a shit as you look at it like because to me, like you said something earlier, where it's like before, once a week you upload and then you're set, you're in it. And yeah. now I feel like it's like every every hour you have to upload yeah. in order to be rewarded. Does that discourage It does you? seem like it's changed. Because you're back now. Like it paused yeah, for we're Skull back. Candy. Now you're yeah. back. What do you... Right. 
is the feeling still the same? Is the vision still the same? Are you coming at it with a little bit of a different approach now? I'm not changing probably as quickly as I should. Uh, I'm not like a big analytics guy. I'm just a gut instinct guy. Uh, uh, out of the last like, you know, 20 or so videos that we put out, two of them really caught on the way that old videos would have caught on. The rest are kind of like ha have not gotten like pushed into the algorithm. But yeah, it seems like YouTube has changed quite a bit in those two years that I took off working for Skullcandy. Um, it's, it doesn't seem the same, but I'm not on some like old man yelling at cloud, like, <laughs> like, Oh, you rotten YouTube scoundrels. Why did you change the algorithm? Like it just is what it is. I look at it now as like YouTube views are less important than they used to be. Um, there are other avenues, obviously. What I'm learning now is that, you know, inst like Instagram is the platform, obviously. Like that's the one that everybody checks first now, it seems like. That's the one where it's like you look at the metrics and go, oh, this person's popping because they have this amount of followers. So, you know, turns out that everything that I've been doing for the last seven years with, with Kind of Neat is great internet or is great Instagram content. So, you know, I've uh -huh. been concentrating more on like showing the world what we've done over the last seven years and showing it as this complete um, vision of, of, a, of a creative project rather than concentrating weekly on trying to get the YouTube views. I'm just using it more to like grow the other platforms uh, and, and just show it as a, as a brand. I, I don't know that like kind of neat will ever be able to scale. Like we'll see. Do I think it's great content? I do, or else I wouldn't do it. You know, like, do I uh, love doing it? Yeah, I do. That hasn't changed. I love talking to people. I love hearing everybody's stories. I love, um, you know, painting artists as a three-dimensional human being instead of this like one-dimensional thing that people see on Instagram. So yeah, I still love it. The algorithms change, but what the fuck can you do? You know, views aren't what they used to be, but what can you do? Uh, I'm going to just keep doing me. And and I think um, regardless, like if, if I can get, if I can change one artist out of 20 artists life that I talk to, then that, that's a pretty good job. You know what I'm saying? If I can make a video where people say, oh yeah, I fucking like every time the, the feedback that I get from artists is like every time they go to, a, they, they play a show somewhere, somebody comes up to them and says, man, I've been a fan ever since you did kind of neat. And like, that's important to me. Like I like to be outside of the algorithm. I like to not look at what's trending, what's viral, what's whatever. I don't like to look for the next biggest TikTok hit. I like um, to talk to people who genuinely make music that would appeal to me or appeal to the teenager in me and, and, you know, put them on the platform and, so yeah, I don't know. I, I hate the algorithm. That's the honest thing. I, I hate people that like only concentrate on trying to find what works in the algorithm. I hate uh, um, that A&Rs are just looking for whatever the next viral trend is instead of like what actually gives them spine tingles. I'm trying to like find the spine tingle shit. You feel me? Dude, so, I, yes, I feel yeah. you. And it's it's that's why I wanted to ask you because I feel like I'm sometimes old man yelling at a cloud and I'm goddamn 30. But it's like, yeah. it feels like, I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes because I was always raised and I was always of, like, it's just always been in my blood to do your best job and do things with integrity and do things you're proud of and not worry about anything else. And I feel yeah. like that's like, when I really started looking at what you're doing, I'm like, 
this dude gets it because you're not yeah. you're not doing it to game an algorithm if you've been in the game for as long as you have and you're still doing it like you're doing it because you're passionate about something and you've clearly yeah. built something really cool so it gives Thanks. me like another wave of hope to be like here's somebody that doesn't give a fuck that's just making a good product because that's what they need to do kind of thing yeah i ah oh man i'll be honest sometimes i wish i understood gaming the algorithm but i just can't be fucked to care enough about it like i can't it does not inspire me to learn the tricks of the trade that just doesn't do it for me like learning Instagram tricks and learning YouTube tricks and whatever, like changing my thumbnail. Like, you know, people tell me the craziest shit. Like, oh yeah, you should change your thumbnail every week. So it bumps back up in the algorithm. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You know how many videos I have on the channel? That shit would take forever. Fuck no, I'm not doing that. Like, that's not inspiring to me. That's no. like stupid busy work. Yeah, like um, you're just so, babysitting like the internet at that point and you're not creating. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I just, I do what I do and I'm, and I've, gotten good at it over the years i think and and that's you know that's it and people will find value in it and, and i think the important thing too i i can't lie and say i don't care about legacy like i think about legacy sometimes you know like what are the tweets gonna look like when you die or whatever and Fuck, and yeah. uh not not literally no i but know that, but i but, feel you but, I but feel like you. the the legacy that you leave uh is a fingerprint of your life and and I think if anything kind of needs legacy could really be seen as like influential in that other brands took what we were doing and ran with it and admittedly do it better, cleaner, more graphically sound, like whatever, but they have funding behind them. And, and but if you talk to them, I guarantee you, they would say like, oh yeah, we saw what kind of neat was doing. And we we were like, that's tight. You know what I'm saying? And that's important to me. I'm like, hey, cool. Like that's the literal definition of being an influencer. And, and and I don't I don't care about being an influencer and what the modern sense is, but the fact that like people have seen what we did and ran with it and are standing on the shoulders of giants with it, like that's dope to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so yeah. Dude, yes. Yes. I completely feel yeah. that. And something else that I'm interested in, which is clearly proof of that is mm. you did kind of neat up until the point where you did skull candy and i can only imagine yeah. that switching and doing skull candy is a sick paycheck it's a ton of production it's a ton of new <laughs> endeavors that you can do and i yeah. want to hear about that however i also think it says so much that here you are again doing kind of neat because i think that yeah. really shows that you are you canadian no where are you from i'm from miami but my dad's scottish What's good? Oh, from Miami. Oh, nothing. I I was just gonna clown because you because of how you say kind of neat every time instead of just kind of oh. neat. I'm like, oh, he might be Canadian. I'm like, what's the solid? I'm about? like, I'm no. very white with how I enunciate. You're very things. proper. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I can't help it, and I love rap, which does not go together yeah. well because I'm. That's all right. That's okay. No, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I blew the question. Um, so, yes. After a certain point with Kind of Neat, right, uh, where, you know, video, we, we had broken, I think, 100 million views and, you know, had 200,000 subscribers or something like not crazy. Like now the standard for a big YouTube channel is having over a million subscribers and it is what it is. I don't know that. We'll, I don't know if we'll ever get to that. Who knows? Maybe. But uh, the thing about it is people at companies, they see 100 million views and they go, 
wow, this guy's a free agent. Like, that's amazing. Like, let's, he knows what he's doing. 200,000 subscribers. Holy shit. Nobody here has ever done that. So yeah, it looks really nice on a resume. And so at a certain point with kind of neat, I went, you know, I don't know how we're ever going to make any money off of this because that's the thing. People think, oh, you have a YouTube channel and it gets a bunch of, of views. You got money. Nah, man, my YouTube channel makes like maybe a hundred bucks a month because every one of those songs, after like about 2015, the internet got really good at fingerprinting songs. It was right around the time that DSPs really picked up Spotify and, and Tidal and all these. Like when those got really popping, all of those songs that are available via di digital distribution, they all get tagged instantly when you upload them. So all those performances, none of them are making money. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so I went, Maybe this is not ever going to be my full-time job, but it will be a resume piece. So I will stick with it as like an overall art project to show what my vision is as far as curation goes, to show what my vision is as far as uh, presenting music in an easily digestible way. And, and also just like getting to keep talking to people and being a host and learning more about the human condition by chatting with people. Um, and so right around that time that I kind of gave into that notion that perhaps kind of neat will never similarly take me to the promised land the same way that music being a musician never took me to the promised land was right when like it took me to the promised land. Cause I, 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 I gave up a little bit of my, um, I don't know, like, you know, growing up in indie music culture, you have this sense of like not wanting to be a sellout, not wanting to like fucking uh, ever compromise on your vision. And at a certain point, I just went, you know what? If somebody offers me some money, I'll help them compromise my vision. That's fine. And so, you know, Skullkinny was like, yo, we want to start a podcast. I had been working with them kind of doing, I had been doing music programming stuff for them for a couple of years. And they went, we want to pivot and do a podcast and video content. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you guys figure that out. I wrote up, a, I made like a consulting deck. Like I was like going to consult them on how to start one and help them find a host and all this stuff. And after the meeting, they were like, yeah, that's cool. But like, do you want to just host it? And I was like, oh, I didn't think you guys wanted me to suggest myself to host it. But oh, yes, no, I, I will me? host your podcast. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, for real, me. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, sure. You know, and I also told them, but like, don't don't get it twisted. I'm not like some huge fucking podcast uh, host. Like, it's not going to, I'm not going to be bringing any audience with me. It's going to be like a bunch of people going, who the fuck is this guy? And they're like, yeah, we don't care about that. We just need somebody that like knows how to do this. So, all right, cool. Um, so yeah, it was a, a great check. And I worked with people that I've known for a long time. The first year I didn't get to do any of the booking. And so some of those episodes were like suggestions that I made. Like I did a little Zubin podcast on I saw that. on Skull Candy too. Um some of them were suggestions that I was giving to them. Most of them were just like they had this other dude booking. Um and and our taste, you know, he's great at his job, but our tastes were different. And so I was talking to a lot of people that first year that uh I wasn't I didn't really even know who they were, nor was I like really um, super compelled by their music. But, you know, I met some cool people in the interim. And then the next year, after that first year of growth, I went, you know what? I have a dude that I think would be really great to help book this. And it was Adam. And I like made a deck about Adam. And I said, look, he's been booking all these parties. He's one of my closest friends. Our tastes are really similar. Like he'll be able to book 
anybody that's popping right now off the strength of his name and i'll be able to like dial down his outlandish tastes by understanding completely what skull candy's brand is like i have a really strong understanding of of what skull candy's like attitude and brand is having worked with them for like six years on and off right and so they were like yeah okay cool let's have adam do it so you know adam and i the 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 next year in 2019 we um ran the booking together and we there's a lot of like hurdles with their marketing campaign as far as like all the stipulations that needed the artist needed to fit because there was like it was this thing called mood boost and every mood um had a color and every artist yep. had to match the mood and the color and they had to do a song that da 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 and there was a lot of like, you know, booking artists on committee um, and we would have to make a deck every month of like artists that we thought would fit and why. And and then, you know, we had to make sure that they all fit within the budget. And that was something that Adam was able to help with because he had these working relationships with a lot of artists. And, you know, our goal was to like bring a lot of musical diversity, general diversity um, to the program. And I think we did, you know, we we booked 12 artists and only had, I think, two white dudes the whole time. You know what I'm saying? Like Damn everybody, you like that. That was the goal. We're like, yeah, let's try to avoid having white people on the show. And, <laughs> and well, success. I mean, props for like giving a shit about diversity. Like that's, I, I, that's that like one so, too. Well, so that's, that's eventually what my goal with kind of neat has become is like, look in music culture as a white man, particularly someone that concentrates mostly on like underground hip hop culture. I'm a guest in, 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 the culture i'm a guest in the industry um all you know maybe the, the like sometimes people push back and think this is a controversial statement but all popular western music comes from african-american culture you know what i'm saying so I, my whole goal on kind of neat is really to uh elevate black voices elevate the voices of women elevate uh the voices of the lgbtq community because like look I know my audience. You want to talk about gaming the algorithm? Like, it's easy, dog. On YouTube, have a fucking cute white girl or a white rapper on your YouTube show, and that shit's always going to get more views, period. I know how I could game the system with my audience, and, and that's lazy to me. And so rather than going like, hey, have on this fucking corny white rapper that'll be huge. Fuck that. Like, I'd rather have, you know, uh, uh, an important black voice or an important black woman uh, on the show um, that is making music that truly touches my heart rather than shooting for, like, whatever the next, you know, thing that's going to get me views is. Gonna, it is. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so, anyway, all that is to say, yeah, diversity is very important for me and not making lazy decisions is very important to me and integrity is very important to me. And so, that really has become a goal as a guest in the culture is to try and make sure that I'm e elevating um, elevating voices uh, rather than e ever trying to be like a gatekeeper. Or I, I, maybe I'm not even using the term gatekeeper wrong or correctly. I mean, because uh, I guess like trying to not have white rappers on the show is kind of gatekeeping. But like it, you're it like is going what it is. now. You've you've gone too far as far as wanting diversity. Yeah, and I don't know. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, feel you. I feel yeah. you. Like you're yeah, trying yeah. to be respectful and you're trying to like not yeah. just be like cool white people in hip hop. I don't want to take. I don't want to take the easy route. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, that it is what it is. Yeah. So, so okay. So then the Skull Candy thing ran oh, its yeah, course so. and you came back to yeah. doing Kind of Neat. Well, so I never... Okay, so I took those two years off from Kind of Neat because I was like, oh, I finally have a full-time job. Like, those two years... 
were the easiest years of my life. Like as far as workload went, I got to travel all the time. My, I was like MVP gold on Alaska Airlines, just like luxurious first class flights all the time, a mad upgrade, staying in these nice hotels, eating good meals and getting paid, you know? And so I went, you know what? I'm going to take a break from kind of neat because I'm doing the podcast shit. You know, I got a dog that I'm trying to train. So it was like all I, I like had a my my now wife. We were we had just moved in together and we're living in a nice place together. And I was like, I'm just going to take these the, like I'm going to let kind of neat breathe for a little bit. And then 2019, you know, even easier than 2018. We only did 12 episodes, man. It was like so chill. And uh and yeah, I just didn't feel the need. I was like, I'm still doing the thing that I've been doing. It's just like on an easier schedule now. But yeah, once that ended, like once I found out the the Ari Lennox episode of of uh, of You Feel Me, which I, I didn't name that podcast, but the that Skull Candy podcast, that was the last episode. And I went, all right, well, back to the drawing board. So what am I going to do in the interim? I'm going to have to like start kind of neat again because for one, I need to like scratch that itch of constantly creating, but also I need to keep building the resume and showing what I do so that when other people come along, uh, they see that I've been active and there's just not just some gap in, in productivity. So yeah, started, started filming episodes. And then right as I was starting filming episodes and trying to like switch to a different podcast carrier, COVID hit. Yeah. And, and so I had like, six episodes already recorded and then COVID hit and I went, oh fuck, like this is going to be terrible when, when these six weeks are up, what the fuck am I going to do? Um, but it worked out, you know, like I get tested pretty frequently. The podcast is very small. We only have three people in the studio when we do it, me, the engineer and the artist, and we've managed to stay safe. Uh, nobody's caught COVID. So <laughs> Nobody, you, I don't know. Like you still do yeah. it in person. I still do them yeah. in person, man. Yeah, yeah. I just put a... So I have a uh, another SM7 and I'll just put a mask over that one. So I use the same one every week and then I put a mask over the mic every week and then we sit on the opposite side of a 12-inch room or maybe of a 12-foot room uh, while we're doing it. And yeah, me and the engineer stay masked up the whole time and the artist uh, is the only one that's, that can keep their mask off and we've had success. It's been, it's been Damn, fine, you cool. know? Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah. I was all in person and then I switched to Zoom and it gets it done, but I very much miss the like in-person experience. And also you're doing yeah. a performance, which... Right, and the performance and really, as, as silly as it sounds, the photo of them in front of the comic book wall is very important for our aesthetic in general. Having done so many podcasts, you know, probably like 300 podcasts over the course of my life at this point, it's like there's something to be said about that in-person intimacy. And not that this one isn't intimate. Don't get me wrong. Like we're still looking at each other's eyes longingly. You know, what I mean? no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, we're still able to look at each other. But yeah. it's like, you know, there's something <laughs> magic about being in the same room with somebody. So, yeah. No, dude. But I also, yeah, you. the performance part is very important to, uh, to what we do as well. So, yeah, man. Yeah, no, I super feel it. I, I, uh, mm. that's been something that I've struggled with. I, I have adapted to Zoom podcasts, but God, do I miss just sitting in person and doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like, like I said, if you're careful about it, that that's the thing though, is that my wife and I are taking it way serious. We have not eaten at a restaurant or done anything it since fucking March. You know what I yeah. mean? And. It's terrible. Is is horrible times. Uh, it's boring as shit. I've 
cooked every fucking dish in every cookbook that I have. But, um, you know, we're trying to be strict about that so that we can, so that I can keep doing kind of neat and feeling like I'm not putting anybody in any danger, you know? Yeah. No so, respect there. Yeah. Honestly, respect there. Yeah, for sure. Well, fuck dude. So anyway. I feel like that pretty much catches me up on your insane story of sure every small world thing coming together and me having somehow never met you yeah i i honestly like i'm i'm pretty confused by that too i, I feel like maybe your face looks a little familiar but who knows uh i don't go out that much anymore that's the oh i mean obviously because of covid but even before that like i got married last year in june and before that in 2016 my wife and I, when we first got together, we both quit drinking. And when we quit drinking, that takes a lot of social life out of you, man. Like, because if you don't go to bars anymore yeah. and you don't really want to stay up late going to parties anymore and shows are now boring as shit because you're not stealing beers backstage. It's like, that's a lot of the things that I used to do that I no longer do. So I'm just like not really out and about like that anymore. Dude, it's uh, so funny. You know? Like I never really drank, but it's so much a part of just meeting people. So like, it's yeah. yeah, like that part of COVID and like all that. I'm like, yeah, nothing's really changed. However, there is just that thing of like social life and those, ah, it's just different now. I don't know. No, totally. It is. Um, yeah. Have, so that's the thing is like when people, that, that's another part of just like not, um, you know, people always going like, oh, you're the one who did that. Yeah, but I, and it's because I don't see people out and about, and I'm not, and I'm also not the type of dude when you meet me to go like, "Hello, these are all the things that I've done." I'm not a like talk about myself person usually, and, and a lot of the time that I'm spending editing the podcast is trying to edit myself out. You know what I mean? Like, because I want it to be about the person. So if I'm telling a story to them in person uh, that I think will help get another story out of them. I usually edit my story out because chances are my audience is already hurting. They have fucking five or six stories <laughs> and then, and then I leave their story in, you know, and people go, wow, how do you get these people to talk? And I'm like, you know, because I talk more than they do usually. And then I just edit myself yeah, out. And then I'm cutting shit out. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. So. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a fucking honor to talk to you because I feel uh, like no, like I mean it though, because I, I think that there's so much to be learned and so much like something that I have a problem with is when people come at any type of industry and think they're the shit without doing their homework and learning who was there first and who like kind of like pioneered it. And as I sit here and talk to you and as I hear these stories, I'm like, damn, like had it not been for things like kind of neat and just like... I don't know, so much of what we talked about, people like you in general, like uh, it puts the platform for people to keep going and for, for it to be a familiar platform for other people to listen. Kind of rambled that. But. No, that's all good. I mean, I appreciate the sentiment. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, I have definitely accidentally pioneered some things, but at the same time, I didn't realize that I was doing it while I was doing it. It was all happy accidents with uh, a lot of fortitude and a lot of work ethic and a lot of just like get it done. And I hope that people will look back eventually and, and, and go like, wow, he did a lot of shit right now. Uh, you know, that's, that's not that important to me. Getting the, getting the credit where credit is due is not something that like makes me happy or makes me thrive. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really need that validation. Validation comes from within, you know what I mean? Happiness is, is something you have to work on 
yourself because somebody else telling you that you did good is not going to make you happy. So I, I don't know. what. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm glad that you think that I was a pioneer. I'm glad that you think we did some cool shit. Uh, you know, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do my whole life. And it's, it's nice. Yeah. And Thank I'm you. glad to see that you're still doing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm thanks, glad man. that it's not just like a thing of the past and that you're just like, you're back at it. Well, at this, at this and, awesome. and at this point, it's really a challenge to myself because I don't know if you've ever read this and maybe you're already starting to experience it, but science has shown, and I say this all the time, but science has shown that the age of, tw- of 33 is when your music tastes start to revert. It's when you stop being as interested in new music, you stop being interested in new sounds, and you start going like, you know what? That Blink-182 CD I used to listen to in high school is pretty good. Maybe I should listen to it again. And that's why, you know, I'm 10 years older than you, but my dad grew up. I grew up listening to my dad play classic rock all the time. It was all the shit that came out while he was in high school, you know? And that's why, because at a certain point, your brain tells you, like, what happened when you were in high school was the peak of music culture that's what you love and i and i just want to like always fight that and always go like no matter how outlandish my fucking friends that are my age think that rap is getting or no matter how obnoxious they think pop music is getting or whatever i want to be able to like look at it and go like nah this shit is dope and if you were like 15 you would understand that but you're a fucking old fart and that's why you don't like it, you know? And so at this point, it's really a challenge to myself to just kind of go like, the kids are all right. You know, they're still doing dope shit. And I'll tell you, yeah, talk, t- as, a, as a nearly 40-year-old man, talking to a 19-year-old, sometimes it's difficult and it's a stretch. And I have to like really work every angle to get them to talk. But, you know, I listen to him play the music and I go, ah, this kid's smarter than he's given on, you know, because uh, because the music is still dope. So I, I don't know that that's it. No. It's just it's just to challenge myself to keep my mind like open, you know. That's really, really cool. Yeah, man. Uh, the last thing, and yeah. it's a broad question. So if it's too broad, that's fine. No. But having like just I like to end the podcast with something like this. Of if you could go back to any time in your life where it felt the absolute hardest and with what you know now, mm. what would you go back? Like what point do you go back to and what do you tell yourself then to keep going? Oh, uh, well. Mm-mm. I mean, I would probably just go back to when I was like, uh, a, a kid in Alaska, like feeling like such a misfit out in the middle of the woods, like not interested in what a lot of the other kids at my school were interested in and, and secretly desiring to be a musician, uh, specifically secretly desiring to be a rapper and, and pre pre Eminem where like, you know, white rappers did not even exist, uh, you know, and I would just kind of go back to him and be like, Hey man, check it out. You got cool tattoos and you fucking live in Los Angeles and you did it, man. Good job. You know, like don't, yeah, that's it. You know, I, I don't know. I, the, the looking back thing, I, man, I've always had enough hubris to like not worry about it and just think that everything's going to work out. You know, another time that I would probably like go that. back to is like when in 2017, we had to move my dad down to California from Alaska because he had Alzheimer's and we had to put him in a memory care facility. And I went into such a deep, dark depression, one that I hadn't been in in, in many years and one that I haven't been in since. And at the time, my now wife, uh, we were just dating at the time. Uh, 
And I tried to break up with her because I was so depressed that I was just like, nothing makes me happy. And I know that she did. But it was like just my depression telling me like not to be around other people. And, and I would I would go back to that guy and say like, hey, man, don't be a fucking dick. Like, you know, she she's going to be your wife. And that probably would have helped, too. That's it. Damn. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Sure. And also shouts to her for sticking with you and putting up with your bullshit. I mean, honestly, all. she like threatened me. She was gonna stab me, I think. So I was like, oh, I gotta take her back or she's gonna stab me. I don't know. She's sitting right next to me. I don't know if she can hear me or not. She has headphones on. But That's anyways. Funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so damn much for oh. doing this. I legit like it's an honor to have you on. Yeah, I'm thank so you. I, I never get to I never get to like so shamelessly talk about myself for so long. So I appreciate it too. It was a nice outlet. Thank you for uh, thank you for the chance and for inviting me on, man. Appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. And for anybody listening, if you haven't deduced or haven't uh, figured out what you're all about and all of the things you do, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at its intuition. You can find me also at kind of neat those are my two twitters uh they're both verified last month which was crazy and then i got hacked like weeks later because i didn't have my two-step <laughs> verification on so if you ever get verified man fucking turn that shit on uh get that two-step that's it um and then same thing on instagram at its intuition and at uh kind of neat and that's k-i-n-d-a-n-e-a-t not kind of as you've been saying <laughs> <laughs> As your gracious host of this yeah, podcast nah, has so just perfectly you. misled you. Uh, yeah, I'm just fucking with you. But yeah, K-I-N-D-A-N-E-A-T. And then and then um YouTube.com slash kinda neat is where you can see all of the video content we've been talking about. And there's just like quite literally hours of entertainment, if not days. Like there's uh there's a lot of videos on there and there's a lot of history on there. And you've probably seen one of the videos and didn't realize it, and we'll go oh, that's what this is, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. Dude, there it is. Thank you. There you have it, Lee's story. It was a crazy one. If you made it to the end and you liked it, there are three things that you can always do that help me. The first is just telling your friends about the show. Word of mouth has been the absolute best way for the podcast to get discovered. The second is donating to the show. You can go to whereareallmyfriends.com slash donate and any contribution helps. I'm always trying to improve gear and level up my production helps a lot. And the third thing is leaving reviews and subscribing. If it's on Apple Podcasts, leave five stars, write a review, subscribe. If it's on anywhere else, just hitting subscribe is huge. I'm gonna try to keep this outro short and leave you with just that. I'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks as always for listening.